Hi guys, it's Ellis and this is the Animal Excellency Podcast. Today, we're going to talk about invertebrates. All right. Invertebrates are incredibly widespread, accounting for about 97% of all animal species on the entire planet. They are found in almost every single habitat, including the oceans, where life first came from or arose. Invertebrates evolved from single-cell organisms. These single-cell organisms then evolved into two-layered multicellular organisms. This was the beginning of invertebrate life. The earliest fossils of invertebrates come from the late Precambrian, long before the dinosaurs, about 600 million years ago. 15 million years later, invertebrates began to diversify. At this time, soft-bodied invertebrates, such as jellyfish, began to develop hard body cases and shells. This created two distinct groups, the mollusks, annelids, and arthropods, and the echinoderms and chordates. The echinoderms and chordates would later give rise to all animals with backbones, including mammals, reptiles, fish, amphibians, and birds, and us. All invertebrates do not have a backbone, a bony skeleton, or true jaws. However, many invertebrates do have a skeleton, just not a bony one. It can be either internal or external. These skeletons have many purposes. They can protect the invertebrate from predators and powerful impacts, such as a fall. There are also many different types of skeletons. Sponges have an internal skeleton, while the shell of a bivalve, such as a clam, oyster, or mussel, is a two-part external shell. Arthropods, such as millipedes um, or centipedes, have an external skeleton made of hard plates. Joints between these plates makes the skeleton flexible. However, this skeleton unfortunately cannot grow. Vision is another important sense. Oh, wait, no. Yeah, vision is very important for mobile invertebrates, and some have complex eyes equipped with lenses, such as dragonflies. The compound eye is a common type of eye among arthropods. Dragonflies are arthropods. Surprisingly, some cephalopods, such as squids and octopuses and cuttlefish, have eyes similar to ours that focus on light. And our eyes do the exact same. Hearing is another important sense for invertebrates. However, their hearing apparatus is not always located in the head like ours. Ours are located on our head, as, you know, our ears. Some, like grasshoppers, have eardrums in their abdomen or body, while crickets have them on their legs. Most invertebrates change as they grow up. This change is known as metamorphosis. This process alters the way the species will live and may increase the chances of this species or any species finding food or a mate. In invertebrates, metamorphosis may be gradual, rapid, or abrupt. The change may occur inside a pupil case or a chrysalis, such as in butterflies. Invertebrates are abundant, and their diets include almost everything. Underwater grazing is the process of removing vegetation from a solid surface, and limpets and sea urchins use this technique to feed. Invertebrates that live in the sea or near the shore filter their food from the water. Barnacles will use this technique and will use their legs and gills to catch food 
and they may even pump water through their gills, increasing their supply of oxygen as well as food. Before we continue talking about food, we have to talk about how invertebrates catch it. On land, invertebrates will forage for food. Most predatory invertebrates, such as spiders, move around in the open. But how do invertebrates eat their food? There are many types of food, and there are many types of mouth parts to deal with the different types of food. Caterpillars will bite off and swallow their food in large pieces. Moths and butterflies have a proboscis, which can be unrolled to drink nectar from flowers or fruit juices. Spiders are carnivorous, meaning they feed on another living thing, but feed, um, but they feed on the liquid of their prey, just like butterflies and moths, except butterflies and moths are not carnivorous. Spiders have a tiny mouth and feed by pouring digestive juices onto their prey or injecting it into their prey. Then they will suck up the digestive juices into their mouth. So they will pour these enzymes into the prey and it will allow the prey to, it will liquefy the prey and the spiders can suck it up, suck up the prey. Many invertebrates have an important ecological impact. Earthworms, for example, keep soil fertile and some insects pollinate flowers or break down dead remains. Invertebrates make up the vast majority of the world's parasitic animals. Some, such as ticks and leeches, live on the outside of their hosts. Many, such as tapeworms and roundworms, live internally and feed on their hosts' tissues and flesh. Most parasites, however, do not kill their hosts because they rely on them, but many parasitic insects do. They will lay their eggs in the body of an animal, and when the young hatch, they will devour the host from the inside. So some have to have them, have to have their hosts. Others do not necessarily have to, and will kill the host at the host's expense. However, this is not how life starts off for many young invertebrates. As I said, parasitic insects will lay their eggs inside the body, and then the young will hatch and devour the host, but this is not how most life for young invertebrates starts off. Most invertebrates leave their young to develop on their own. Once they are once they lay them in the, maybe in the form of an egg or something like that, they're on their own. There's no parental care for most invertebrates. Unfortunately, many eggs will not survive because of this, which is why many eggs are produced to counter the effect of the many losses. On the other hand, some invertebrates are incredible parents. Female octopuses attach their eggs to rock cavities on the seabed and rocks. They will remain close and will squirt jets of water on the eggs to keep them oxygenated so the baby octopuses can continue to breathe. So that's great parental caring. A lot of dedication there. Even after they've hatched, however, some invertebrates will still take care of their young. Some arachnids, such as scorpions, carry their young around on their back until they are ready to go off on their on their own. At this stage in development, the young have soft exoskeletons and this and they will harden with age. Young invertebrates are usually pale but will become colorful as they age. These colors help some invertebrates imitate various objects and um which is known as mimicry. Um which helps them camouflage into their surroundings. They can um, mimic anything from pebbles to twigs to even bird droppings. 
and invertebrates will mimic anything to avoid getting eaten. They may also mimic dangerous species, so they are avoided. Even if they are cared for, all invertebrates will soon go off on their own. However, if an invertebrate is in a colony, the same species will remain together for life and form a permanent group or colony. That's what a colony is. In a colony, the members are usually closely related to one another. In some marine colonies, because that was terrestrial, um, some marine colonies, the invertebrates have joined together, literally joined together, and look and behave like a single animal, such as the Portuguese man-of-war. This animal looks like a jellyfish, but is actually a colony of polyps. So there are many different species that joined together. That is not one species of animal. However, floating colonies like these are very rare. Other invertebrates, such as corals, will form fixed colonies on the seabed, and they will stay there for life. They move around when they're young, when, cor when they're coral polyps, polyps, and then they settle down, and they form fixed colonies on the seabed. On land, however, social insects include termites, ants, bees, and wasps, and their queens normally lay all of the eggs. So on land, it is a little bit more sophisticated. The role of the other members in the colony uh, for terrestrial invertebrates or terrestrial or things living on land, an animal living on land, is to ensure that the colony is fed and defended from attack. So that's what the other members are for. There's the queen, and she's the top. She's at the top of the hierarchy, top of the society. And the other members ensure that the colony is fed and defended from attack. Each one has a specific purpose, but that is an overall uh, summary of all the tasks that the other members will do. Mimicry can also be used as a form of camouflage by predators who want to remain hidden from their prey and achieve the element of surprise. So mimicry can be used by predators and prey. So that makes it even more interesting that may be co-evolution, where both species evolve together, um, sometimes good, sometimes bad. In this case, it could be bad because the prey is evolving to outwit the predator, but the predator is evolving to outwit the prey. So co-evolution can happen um, over millions of years, and it continues to happen today. Um, and like I said, it is used as a form of camouflage. Um, by predators who want to remain hidden from their prey and achieve the element of surprise. So they benefit from this. Some insects mimic behavior and will even smell like other species. So that's taking it to a whole new level, not just sight, but smell. So if you weren't fooled by how it looks, maybe you'll be fooled by how it smells. This allows some insects to even enter colonies, colonies that aren't their species. So they will not get attacked because when another species enters another species um, colony, it's usually to either take over, take the young, take the resources they have. It, it never ends well when a, a, one species enters another species colony, right? So they try to defend themselves. Um, they will try to attack each other, possibly kill each other, but they just want to protect the queen, which is what they want to do. Or the most vital part of the colony. They want to protect that because that's what they need at the end. Um, the most crucial part of the colony, that's what they want to protect. So 
some insects will enter the colonies and will be they will gain protection and they can go as they please and they can stay unharmed. And they completely fool the other species, the ones that smell like them. So they can eat the young, they can gain protection, they can gain food, shelter, they can gain whatever they want and they will not be attacked because they smell like the other species. Usually a species that smells like another species will look like it as well because, you know, it's not only the smell or it's not, well, sometimes it is only the looks, but only looks won't get you into the colony. So you need a combination of both to achieve getting into another species colony, colony, eating their young, gaining protection and not being attacked, coming and going as you please. So that is impressive. That requires both the sight and smell to fool another species, colony species. There are more than 30 groups of invertebrates and there are countless invertebrate species across the globe. However, I cannot name all of them, but I will name some of the most prominent groups. Some of these groups are the sponges, corals, sea anemones, jellyfish, sea stars, sea urchins, snails, clabs, wait, oh, clabs, what? Clams, squids, octopuses, sea cucumbers, tapeworms, crabs, yep, that's what I meant to say, scorpions, insects, spiders, millipedes, centipedes, barnacles, earthworms, leeches, sand dollars, and much, much, much more. I suggest that you look it up, look up the many different invertebrate species and uh, subgroups because there are thousands. We don't even know all of them. You know, some is, um, invertebrate and species, invertebrate species are discovered every day. You know, there's no limit on the amount of invertebrate species we will find, I think. However, habitat destruction is hurting the uh, amount of invertebrate species that are um, surviving. And it probably wiped out a few species that we will never hear of and we never have heard of. But and, and it's unfortunate, but we need to preserve the species that are still here. All right, that's it for today. Come back next week to learn about the new season that is coming out two weeks from now. There will be a season two introduction trailer as we enter an entirely new phase. That will come out next week. And then two weeks, no, yes, that will come out next week, the season two introduction trailer. And then the week after that, that will be the first episode of season two. And we will enter an entirely new phase because this original phase is about the groups of animals, the different groups, mammals, birds, reptiles, amphibians, fish, invertebrates. Six main groups, six episodes. All right. So that's what we have in plan. But next week, we are going to shake things up and you will find out exactly what we're going to do because I'm not going to give it to you now, but I will give it to you next week in the season two introduction trailer. Okay, this is Ellis, and this is the Animal Excellency Podcast. Be sure to rate, comment, and subscribe. See you next time.